it's good to see you here at City this morning. And um, we are in the middle of a teaching series entitled My City. We're going through some very specific things that make City Church what it is and also kind of ch- uh, bringing a challenge to you and to me about what it mean- means to be part of a local church. Hence, one of the reasons why that church membership book is something that we're giving out. Now, this morning... The title of this teaching in the My City series is called Share. Share. It's the idea of sharing the gospel as well as sharing your story. On February the 26th, how many of you were here uh, several weeks ago when we had a story Sunday where people got up and shared their story about what God had done? How many of you were here? It was a powerful powerful Sunday morning. On the 26th of February, we're going to have another kind of my story morning where people are going to be coming up and sharing their stories about the things that God has done. But when we talk about share, we talk about the gospel. And what I want to do this morning is I want to take us very methodically through what the gospel is. Because what I believe for a lot of us, maybe what we've heard the gospel is, might not be bad, but it may or may not actually be what the gospel truly is in the Newer Testament. I had a great experience this past Friday night where I went to the home of Ed and Karen Rose. They're one of our life group leaders here at City. And I went there and their living room is absolutely packed with people as they were processing through as a life group and what they were talking about, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And so this morning, I would like to take us through a rather in-depth understanding of what the gospel is. Now, when I say in-depth, it means this. You're going to have to pay attention. Is that fair? You're welcome. I remember one time I heard a guy preaching and someone in the crowd shouted, take them deep. Take them deep. That's what we're going to do this morning. Does that sound good to everyone? We're going to go deep into what the gospel is. Because I think it's mission critical that not only would you share your story with people about what God has done, there is no way to refute the story of what God's done in your life. There isn't. Someone might struggle a little bit with the efficacy of the Bible, but when you share your story about what God has done in your life, it is irrefutable. What are they going to say to you? No, it didn't happen. Can't. But what's the most powerful is when your story connects with God's story. And when those two come together, when the gospel comes together with your story and you can explain the gospel in the context of your story, that is an unstoppable force. It's what it is. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to talk about the gospel. Are we ready? If you're ready, raise your hand. If the person falls asleep next to you, use the hand that you just raised and gently Hit them with the love of Jesus and say, stay awake. So what is the gospel? How many of you have ever heard the word gospel? Seriously, raise your hand. You've heard it. What we're going to do, we're going to methodically process through this. Most of us know that the gospel is the good news. You know this. We can put up that slide real quick where it just simply says the gospel, good news. Back a little more. Oh, there we go. That's good enough. Now, next slide. Sorry, we'll get back to it. Never mind. The idea here is, is that the gospel is the good news. The word gospel is actually two Greek words that come together. Eu, which means good, and angelion, which means news or message. So the Greek word for gospel is eungelion. Can we say it together? Because it's cool. Are you ready? Eungelion. Say it again. Eungelion. Two Greek words, 
brought together that means good news. The gospel is good news. What we need to understand, though, is there's a backdrop to the word euangelion, and it's important to understand it. It comes from history prior to the gospel that's mentioned in the Newer Testament. The history of the word harkens back to an ancient event that many of you are familiar with. Have any of you ever seen the movie 300? You seen it? Where the Spartans fight the Persians. How many of you remember that movie? And if maybe you studied it in school. But in there you've got this understanding where the Greeks are in a battle against the Persians. The Persians, according to kind of the mythological count, had millions of soldiers. And there were 300 Spartans. And when you look at that story, it's got that sense of an overarching reality where someone's getting ready to be crushed and the Persians were a very evil, ruthless, brutal group of people, but by some what would be viewed as miraculous intervention and some incredible bravery, the Greeks beat the Spartans. I'm sorry, the Persians. Got to get my history straight. When the announcement of the winning of that battle was made, it was called the Eungelion, the good news. The good news was, was because the Greeks had won, the world was forever changed. Forever. And so runners would have gone throughout and they would have made the announcement, good news, the battle has been won we are saved. There is a victory. The enemy has been defeated. Eungelion, the gospel. It comes at us even more pronounced from an ancient stone text that has been dug up and uncovered and it's dated to 9 B.C. And again, I told you this is going to be a little bit technical, but I want you to follow because it's important. There's an inscription called the Priene Inscription. It's found and it was written in 9 B.C. and it's been uncovered and studied. And when you read the inscription from Priene, I want you to listen to what it says and it references Augustus Caesar, the one who brought the Roman Empire together. Here's what's inscribed, 9 B.C. It seemed good to the Greeks of Asia, in opinion of the highest priest, Apollonius. Here's what it says. Since providence, which has ordered all things and is deeply interested in our life, has set in most perfect order by giving us Augustus, whom she filled, meaning providence, whom she filled with virtue, virtue that he may benefit humankind, sending him as a savior both for us and for our descendants, that he might end war and arrange all things. And since he, Caesar, by his appearance, surpassing all previous benefactors and not even leaving to posterity any hope of surpassing what he has done, and since the birthday of the god Augustus was the beginning of the gospel for the world that came by reason of him. These ancient tablets announce the gospel of Caesar Augustus. Can you imagine that word announced, the word uh, gospel announces that the Greeks have beaten the Persians and now the gospel has become that Caesar Augustus has risen to power and he has unified the Roman Empire. And in looking back, it's announced the gospel for the Roman Empire and our Savior, Caesar Augustus. Here's what people that study the Priene inscription says. Here's what it says if you read on. It describes the birthday of Caesar Augustus as the beginning of the gospel for all people and that He is the Savior. It celebrates His birth, 
to be used as the beginning of the year and the calendar for the Roman Empire. Caesar's arrival into the world means that trouble and strife would come to an end. Therefore, Fabius Maximus ordained that the 23rd of September should be commemorated not only as the birth of Augustus, but as a new era, and that is the gospel, the good news. So what we can understand is the gospel is used and technically announced when the world is going to change. Do you get it? The Eon is the announcement that something has happened and that the world is going to change. Now we pick up Luke chapter 2. And in the Gospel of Luke chapter 2, we find the birth of Jesus. And in Luke chapter 2 verse 1, it tells us this. In those days, who's mentioned? Caesar Augustus. The same guy who the gospel has been said about, that he is the Savior, that because of him all wars shall cease, that he has saved the Roman Empire, and he is named as a God. Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. You see, up until this point, the gospel was about him. Now look what happens next. In Luke chapter 2, verse 9, it tells us in the Christmas story, you've heard it hundreds of times, that the angel of the Lord appears to the shepherds in the fields and the glory of the Lord shines around them and they are terrified. And then now Luke chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid, I bring you, what are the next two words? I bring you the gospel. I bring you the gospel that will cause great joy for all the people. Not just Rome, but for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Listen. The angelic host breaks into the known natural world and announces a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. He is the Christ. He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. And if you think Caesar's something, watch out. Here it comes. Do you get this? So the gospel is a, is a declaration that the world is getting ready to change. What Luke does is very clear. He knows about the Prairian text. He's aware of it. And he takes Jesus and places him over top of it and says, if you think Caesar Augustus and the good news about him was something, wait till you meet this guy. But here's some of the best news of all. In Luke chapter 2, verse 10, the angel says, and can you imagine, it's not some runner in the street saying, good news, We've beaten the Persian. Or good news, Caesar Augustus has been born. This time an angelic host, a messenger from God, crashes into the known world and makes the announcement, Luke 2.10, do not be afraid. I bring you the gospel that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born. He is the Messiah. He's the King of the Jews, and He's the Lord of the entire world. And here's the most incredible phrase. The angel says, as it announces, as he or she announces the good news, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a food trough. God has just stepped into the world. It's the Eungelion. It's the good news that means the world will never, ever be the same. Ever. Because this news is for all people. And you and I sit here today because of the Eungelion, the gospel. It's because God came in the flesh 
and stepped into the world, and with him he sent his son as king, and a king always has a kingdom. Let's look to another gospel. Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. If you're utilizing your smartphone or you're utilizing the Bible that we provide, turn to page 812. In Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, the announcement is that John the Baptist prepares the way. But here's how the Gospel of Mark begins. It says, the beginning of the good news. What is that word? The Gospel. Mark in his Gospel says this, the beginning of the Eungelion, the Gospel about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As it is written by Isaiah the prophet, so in dropping to verse 4, and so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for forgiveness of sins. And what we begin to find is now there is a connection between gospel, between eungelion and repent. There's suddenly a connection that's being made. We can pick it up again in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, if you'll put that slide up. Not only did John the Baptist come and announce the good news and tie it to repentance, but in Mark chapter 1, verse 14, it says this, after John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the, what is it? The gospel of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. What's the next word? Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. Isn't it fascinating that here Jesus is starting his preaching pulpit ministry, and as he's preaching, he begins by saying this, the kingdom of God is coming. Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. So we understand a little bit about gospel. That it's two words together, good news. That it's eungelion. It's the announcement that something has happened that drastically and dramatically has altered the world. And now, we tie it to repent. What does repent mean? Repent, if we could put up the slide, it says to repent and believe the gospel or the good news. To repent means meta noel. Meta means to change, and noel means your mind. So to repent literally means to change your mind or purpose, or it literally means to think differently after. And so the gospel writers and Jesus puts the gospel together, the eungelion gets put together with repentance. Jesus announced, repent and believe the gospel. So what does it mean to repent? It means to think differently, to change your mind about something and what are we called to change our mind about we're called to change our mind about the gospel about this good news and I want you to notice something because I think it's absolutely critical and you're going to see it in some of the verses that I'm going to bring out in this sermon I want to explain a problem that I've seen I know that when I first stepped into the kingdom of God, it was said to me, I had to repent of my sins. That's not a foreign concept in Scripture. But when the Bible says to repent and believe the gospel, it's not talking about repenting of your sins. It's talking about change your mind about the good news. To change your mind about it to change the purpose, to change how you view this thing. And so to the Romans, the gospel to them was Caesar Augustus. 
And all of a sudden, this little band of people begin to bring a new gospel that focuses on Jesus, and they're preaching a new gospel. And what are they saying? Repent. Change your mind about what the gospel is. The gospel is not Caesar Augustus. It is Jesus. Change your mind about him. Change your mind about him. Now, I think it's important that we understand clearly what the gospel means and what it is. Because I know when I've been part of the church, I've heard the gospel to mean many things. Things like this. The gospel is the good news. Now, this would go back to the 70s when I became a follower of Jesus. There were phrases like this, and some of you have been in the church for a period of time. They're humorous now, but when I first heard them back then, they were horrifying. It was things like this. What is the gospel? Well, Pete, the gospel means that you're washed in the blood. Really? I don't want to be washed in blood. I don't know who you are, but that doesn't sound very appealing to me. There were people that would say this. The gospel means you have to get saved. And I'm thinking, from what? Not drowning? You know, to me, saving is when someone reaches over a boat and saves you. Now, again, that analogy's not wrong. But I think what we have to understand is, is that when repent is combined with the gospel, I'm not repenting of my sins at the outset. That's next. What I'm doing is, I'm changing my mind about who Jesus is. I'm changing my mind about who Jesus is. It means to think differently, to change your mind or your purpose. So what is the gospel? What is it that we're called to change our minds about? Well, I find this fascinating. You see... The gospel presents Jesus as the king. Jesus has stepped into this world. He was born in a manger, but he is announced as the king. And a king has a kingdom. And so what's being asked of us is not that we would repent of our sins. What's being asked of us is that we would repent of our view of Jesus and that you and I would accept him as my king. That's what's being asked. Is Jesus my king? And if he is, then I'm part of his kingdom. Now with this, we have to dig a little deeper. Because Jesus is king, and he stands over and above King Caesar Augustus. And he's ushering in a new kingdom that you and I are called to repent and to look at and to step into. But what is it? Here's what you will find. All the Gospels focus on events that is the apex of the good news. And the apex of the good news is this. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. That's the center. As a matter of fact, there are many when they talk about the gospel and Jesus as king and him being part of the kingdom and ushering in God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven into this world, that the inauguration of Jesus was his crucifixion. That's the inaugural event where Jesus becomes king. You can see it clearly. Because you see in the Gospels, what we have is some of the Gospels from halfway through the Gospel. The Gospel writer lets you know that Jesus is moving more towards Jerusalem. He's moving toward the city of David. And his disciples are saying, now is the time, Jesus, that you're going to go to Jerusalem and you will sit on David's throne and you will become the king of Israel. And every time they said it, Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm going to Jerusalem to die. I'm going to go to Jerusalem to give up my life. Doesn't sound very kingly, does it? But you see, the kingdom of God is very different than every other kingdom that's ever been on this earth. 
And Jesus moves towards Jerusalem. And as he does, there's an event called the triumphal entry. It's the event where the people are declaring that Jesus Christ is the King. They're laying palm branches down. They're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. Here comes the one in the name of the Lord. They are identifying Jesus as the King of the Jews that will sit on David's throne. But Jesus enters into the city. He does not sit on David's throne. Instead, he's nailed to a tree. He is crucified. He's dead. And he's buried. But here's the incredible news. On the third day, God raised them to life. The king of the kingdom of God had been put to, get to death. His inaugural event to become king was being nailed to a cross. Not sitting on a throne, but being nailed to a cross. That was Jesus' crowning moment. And he did it out of obedience. And the Bible says he did it out of love for you and he did it out of love for me. That Christ came into this world not to be served but to serve and to give up his life as a ransom for many. And so we are looking at some other scriptures. I just want to read them for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul explains what the gospel is. And here's what he writes. 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel, the euangelion, the good news that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. Here's what he says. For what I received I passed on to you of first importance. Here it is. That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And then He appeared to Peter and then to the Twelve. You see, the center of the Gospel is that Jesus as King was inaugurated through the death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. Reading on, Acts chapter 2, verse 24, the first sermon that was ever preached publicly about Jesus said this, but God raised Jesus from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. By the way, an amen goes there. Acts 3.19, another sermon is being preached. And in that sermon, it says this, repent then, and turn to God. In other words, change your mind about the gospel. Turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and that times of, of refreshing may come from the Lord. Colossians 1.12 Giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you in the inheritance of His holy people in the kingdom of light. For He has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of His Son whom He loves, in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. And here's my favorite. Romans 5, 6, and 8. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you and I were still out there sinning our brains out, Christ died for us. The idea here is, and it's clearly spelled out, repent, turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Him. Let me put it to you this way. When you say yes to Jesus and you repent of your view of Him, you change your mind about who Jesus is. When you do that, and you repent, and you follow Him, here's what you get. You have a King who was dead 
buried, and resurrected, and you get that too. It's how this works. And here it's fascinating to me that if we would go back to the Gospel of Mark, where it says, Jesus preached, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He went and preached the gospel. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the next thing he does is he walks up to some fishermen who are in their boats. And he looks at them and says, come, follow me. If you read the text, you would say to yourself, when did they repent? When did they repent of their sin? I don't see repentance of sin. We see it throughout the Gospels where Jesus will heal someone. And then what does He say next? Your sins are what? Forgiven. And I always used to stop and say, but wait a second, they didn't repent. You've got to repent. But you see what Jesus teaches us is this. Is that when I repent of who He is, When I repent about Jesus, when I repent about the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, when I change my mind about that and I move towards Him, forgiveness is granted in the kingdom of God. Here's why. I grew up in a church. The first one that I was a part of was incredible. It was full of hippies. It was in the 70s. Jesus movement was what it was called. Here I am, this farm boy. I got a crew cut every week. My dad is German. We start going to this church full of hippies. I remember looking up there and they're walking in, long-haired, tie-dyed. They're sexed out, drugged out, burnt out. They're walking in and the pastor would preach, accept Jesus. Except Jesus. Don't get cleaned up. Don't think you can get cleaned up and get right with God because if you think that, you're wrong. If you could have gotten cleaned up, you'd have done it already. Just come to Him. Just as you are. Say yes to Jesus. Come to Him. Just as you are. Say yes to Jesus. And I used to watch 10 and 15 hippies a week walk up front and say yes to Jesus. And you know what was amazing? Their lives began to change. Thank God some of them didn't get their hair cut. They left it long. I'm serious about that. Because the next church I went to, a sign that you were saved and washed in the blood and born again was your haircut. If it touched your ears, we have a problem. Huge problem. Your hair is touching your ears, young man. Go get your hair cut. I hated that. Because my mom cut my hair with one of those clippers. It just was like bzzz. Bzz, 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 bzz. All right, next. Bzz, bzz. We had two older brothers. And... Jesus never preached that. You know what he pre- preached? Repent and believe the gospel. And when you do, your sins are forgiven. Repent, believe the gospel, and your sins are forgiven. Change your view of who Jesus is. And when you do, You usher into a kingdom where your king was dead, buried, and resurrected to new life. And now because of him, death can not defeat you. Death will not defeat you. And listen, Caesar Augustus is dead and gone. But this gospel about this king is about a king who was dead, buried, and resurrected. And in Acts chapter 2 it says this, because death could not hold him. That's why he came back to life. And listen, listen to me very, very carefully. I want you to hear this. The Bible says that God rescued us. 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 13. For God rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of our sins. God's will for every person is that through Jesus Christ and through the Gospel, the good news, the good news of Jesus that He was dead, 
buried, and resurrected. That when I put my faith, hope, and trust in Him, I'm taken from the kingdom of darkness and I'm brought into the kingdom of the Son that He loves. So my question is, for those of us who are sitting here, have you repented towards Jesus? Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the good news. And the good news is this, that there is a king who is ushering in a new kingdom. And he was born in a manger, not in a palace. He's like you. He's like me. And not only that, he was tempted in every way as you are and I am, yet he did not sin. And his inauguration as king is when he was nailed to a cross and a crown of thorns was shoved on his head and in three languages above his head it said, Behold the king of the Jews and they were right. He was the king. And that was his inaugural moment as a crown of thorns was shoved on his head and he died. What a strange inauguration. But it's the best one there ever was. He was crowned as king. And he was dead, buried, and on the third day was resurrected. And because of him, you can have resurrection life too. That's how it works. So no matter what you share with a friend about your story and what God has done, to share the gospel means you talk about the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Death could not keep Him. Death could not hold Him. And anyone who repents towards Him finds resurrection life in the kingdom of God. That's how it works. Now, I am 52 years old. I have very dear friends that I've shared the gospel with. You know what some of them say as I begin to talk to them? Here's what they'll say to me. You know what, Pete? 45 years ago in a youth group, I repented of my sins. You hear that? They repented of their sins. That's not what the gospel calls for. We're supposed to repent about Christ. Big difference. Because I can repent of my sins and walk out the door and not be part of the kingdom. But if I repent about who Jesus is and I change my mind about the gospel of Jesus, that will draw me in. I've literally had friends of mine say, Pete, I tried that. I repented of my sin and nothing happened. And my point is this, you don't repent of your sins, you repent of the gospel of the good news that Jesus Christ is king and he has a kingdom and anyone who repents of him comes into the kingdom and has new life and we will be with him forever and ever. Amen. Now, my question, have you repented of Jesus? Have you changed your mind? Have you changed your mind about who Jesus is. Let's stand together as we close. It's time. Some of us have been at City for months, maybe even a year or more. And you've been checking out this thing called faith in Jesus. You will notice at City when we talk about our church, the mission statement is simple. Follow Jesus, serve others. You know why? It doesn't say repent of your sin. That happens. Absolutely. But it's about following Jesus. It's about having a king and you being part of his kingdom because you've repented of who he is. And you've looked at him. And you've examined him. And some of you have been doing this for weeks or months and maybe even some of us a year or more. 
And I believe this morning it's time to accept Him as the one who is resurrected from the dead. It's time. It's time for us to repent and believe the gospel. And believe the gospel. And Jesus says, if you repent and believe the gospel, your sins are forgiven. It ain't the other way around. Where you repent of your sin, you start with repenting of your view of Jesus. And you change your mind about who He is. Listen, come to Him first. He is gentle. He is humble. He is lowly of heart. He receives all who would come to Him. You don't have to be a Roman for the good news to affect you. This good news is for everyone, everywhere. No matter who you are, we start by repenting of Jesus. The gospel, the good news, that Christ was dead, buried, and resurrected. As we stand in God's presence, I believe that there are some of us that are here. And this morning, it's time for you to repent. It's time to change your mind about Jesus. You've been checking him out for weeks, days, months, maybe even years. But this morning, you have an opportunity to say yes to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and to be taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of the Son that God loves, King Jesus. Will you accept him? Will you repent this morning? Will you change your mind about Jesus? If you're here this morning and you know it's time for you to accept Christ, to repent of Him, a prayer like that would go something like this. And if you're in this moment knowing that it's your moment and the Holy Spirit is working on you to repent towards Christ, if you know it's time, a prayer would go something like this. Dear Jesus, I don't know everything there is to know about you, but what I've heard is good news. It's the good news that you came into this world and you were dead and buried and resurrected and that in you I can have resurrection life that I can be in the kingdom of which you are the king. That I don't have to live in my darkness, separated from God. But you have come into this world, and I repent of you. I repent of you, and I change my mind, and I purpose to move towards you. If you've prayed that prayer, if you've said yes to Jesus, if you've chosen to follow Him, I want to congratulate you before God, the angelic host, and Jesus Himself. Because what you're going to discover as you have repented to Christ, you've changed your mind, you've said yes to Him, you will find that the Holy Spirit is going to begin to transform you and change you. There's resurrection life. And the Bible teaches us that the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in you. If you've prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask before you exit city that you would tell someone that you've prayed that prayer. Maybe a friend of yours brought you this morning. I'm going to encourage you to say to them, you know something, I prayed that prayer. I've repented of Jesus and I've come to him and what happens next is very simple you're in a new kingdom and when you're a citizen in a new kingdom there's a new way to live and we're here to help you to understand what it looks like to live and to walk and to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven now and the kingdom of God now as we close we're going to worship together but if you said yes to Jesus Please meet Sandy and Rob back at the guest station before you exit. 
we've got some things that we would like to give you and we have people that are positioned and ready to follow through with you in your repentance and following Jesus. Let's worship together. that we are to repent and believe the gospel and then our sins will be removed God now I pray a blessing over every single one of us that Jesus you would be our king that we would be a group of people who follow you into your kingdom and that we dwell there that we live there God I pray over each one that has chosen to repent this morning of Jesus I pray that resurrection life would cover them and keep them just as it's done for the rest of us who follow you. So Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you that you take us just as we are. All we need to do is repent of you and step into your kingdom. Thank you. So Lord, now I pray that you would bless each and every one of us. Now Lord, I ask, that you would bless us, that you would keep us, that you would cause your face and the grace of the gospel to shine upon us, and that you would give us the kingdom of God peace. And I pray these things now in Jesus' name. In Christ's name I pray. Amen and amen. You can remain in worship or slip out quietly, but let's go in as we worship together. i 
strength was failing me I heard the Sing